This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide. The heartbeat of Saskatchewan is agriculture, and 620 CKRM is proud to be your source for everything ag. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Sitting in for Jim Smalley, here's Tanner Wallace-Gribner. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, brought to you by Harvard Western Insurance. We don't judge. Here's another reminder to renew your plates today. Visit harvardwestern.com and brought to you by Arcola Co-op. You're at home here on Highway 13 in Arcola. On today's show, Jim Smalley is in Saskatoon for APAS's annual AGM. Well, he'll be chatting with people from the agricultural industry up there. We'll also feature a wrap-up of what happened on the markets this week and bring some awareness about rail safety. All that and more including the livestock report, market update and resource report in their usual spots. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today starts. This is Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Sitting in for Jim Smalley, here's Tanner Wallace-Gribner. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Johnston's Grain. Your first and last stop for grain pricing and crop protection and by Farm Fresh Water. They'll make your water well, wonderful, and your dugout drinkable. Get your farm fresh water today at farmfreshwater.ca. And APAS is holding their annual AGM in Saskatoon this week. Day one wrapped up yesterday, and 620 CKRM's Jim Smalley caught up with Ian Boxall, the president of APAS. With me is Ian Boxall, president of APAS. Ian, first day of the convention is over. What were some of the key moments? I think some of the key moments today were that we got a great update today from what crop insurance is looking at rolling out next year on the individual coverage um, that would have been one and and one from fertilizer Canada on what on what what we can expect or what what producers can do to offset maybe this 30% reduction that the federal government is asking for on nitrous oxide do you still believe the federal government's assertions that it's only voluntary so far no I think what if no one volunteers so then what? So the, yeah, the concept of voluntary, voluntary is fine, but if, it is, if nobody volunteers, then what happens? I, so I have some fear that maybe it will be forced, and I think producers need to get ahead of it and do make sure that we are practicing best management practices. Is that the key? I think that is, let's start with that. I think here in Saskatchewan, with the way we deep band fertilizer, majority of our fertilizer, we are 30 years ahead, and I've said it before, we're 30 years ahead of the rest of the country and the world on how we apply our fertilizer here and how we manage our soil here in Saskatchewan. So I think we are in good shape when it comes to the 30% reduction. So crop insurance, you talked about it. What are they really rolling out that looks so good? I think, I think producers have asked for individual coverage. Take my yields, take my history, and base my premiums off of that. And, and that is the program that they are rolling out for, the, for 2023. And I think producers should be happy that they listened, crop insurance listened, to ensure that the program lo- looks more at my farm instead of the area averages. And I, th- I think they've done a great job on that. What happens with rates and coverage? I think the rates and the coverage, you know, depending what you've had for claims history, it could be up or down. But I think at the end of the day, the examples they showed today showed that, you know, potentially most people will have a reduction in premiums. Ian, what's happening at day two at APAS? I think I think today we are looking forward to hearing the resolutions coming up from the floor and and from the from the committees on on the direction to give the organization and the board for what issues are facing producers coming up in the next year. 
So what are some of those key resolutions you see coming forward? I think there'll be some on transportation. I think there'll be some, I think we'll see some coming forward on, you know, the, uh, and there's some internal ones about the, the structure of the organization. And, I, and at APAS, we pride ourselves that we are member ran. Rep, reps have a say in exactly what the, what the direction is for the board and what issues producers are facing. And it's important that we hear those and, and deal with those issues as they come forward. I'd like a comment on grain movement. What are your thoughts right now? We've gone through a cold snap earlier this week. I expect that tomorrow, the other thing tomorrow coming up is both CN and CP will be here to give us an update. And I'm curious to see what they see as we face winter again in Saskatchewan. This will be the every year that they've been in business, we've had winter. And every year, winter is an excuse for poor rail movement. So I'm hoping tomorrow maybe we have some some upside that they have a plan that they can you know, ship our, our sought-after commodities to the port to make sure that they get to our end users on time. Andy and the outlook for 2023 optimism i think in, in, as a producer we're always optimistic and i think it's no greater time to be involved in agriculture than it is right now ian thank you very much ian boxall is the president of apas this is jim smalley reporting from saskatoon we'll have more from apas's agm coming up later you're listening to saskatchewan agriculture today covering for jim smalley here's tanner wallace gribner this portion is brought to you by Conexus Credit Union. Show your Conexus card and you can get into free events. An A-Pass is holding its AGM in Saskatoon with many agriculture organizations from all over the country heading into the Bridge City. 620 CKRM's Jim Smalley chatting with the president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Mary Robinson. With me is Mary Robinson, the president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture. Mary, tell me about today's events at APAS. APAS, so AGM happening today. I came in to hear the president's report, uh, saw some wonderful dialogue back and forth, a lot of discussion about uh, awareness as to what APAS brings to the table for producers in Saskatchewan, some really healthy dialogue, really enjoyed the open mic where the uh, executive sat up front and invited people to make comment and thought that was a wonderful indication of the state of agriculture in Saskatchewan, very respectful and productive conversation. What was a key part of your, your report? Well, from the Canadian Federation of Agriculture's perspective, we have a lot of irons in the fire. Uh, one big one is definitely the situation with nitrous oxide emission reductions, so all kinds of discussion about that. We're also working on a grocer's code of conduct. Uh, recently, we uh, executed the Hay West project, which saw quite a bit of hay brought in particular to Saskatchewan to keep breeding stock alive. Uh, we're working on a uh, workforce strategy uh, program right now looking to address chronic long-term labor shortages and the list does go on. Do you accept the minister's word, Minister Babo, that it's only going to be voluntary, this effort to cut fertilizer oxides or you know uh, pollution by 30%? It's only voluntary. So at this point in time, I don't see we have an alternative but to believe them uh, in their nitrous oxide emissions, the voluntary component of it, as you say. Uh, and I think uh, probably the most heartening part of the nitrous oxide emission reduction target is that if we saw fantastic subscription to the 4R program, that we would most likely see those numbers that they're just not being accounted for right now. So getting more producers to participate in that formally would move really move the needle and prove to people outside of agriculture that agriculture is doing its part. How successful do you see the Hay West program? How good was it? So the Hay West program um, 
we targeted breeding stock. Uh, we would love to have moved a lot more hay. Uh, we did succeed in getting a freight subsidy from the federal government. And what CFA's role in it was to kind of be a clearinghouse. So we, in essence, uh, paid for the hay from the producer that sold in the east and then we gathered the money from producers in the west. We still have some money left to collect on that and I'm happy you, you brought it up because it's important I think to get the message out there that that money is actually owed to the Canadian Federation of Agriculture not to the Canadian government. So we really need to see those accounts tidied up so that we can trigger the completion of that program. Uh, but seeing all that hay moved we would love to have moved more but we saw certainly escalating uh, fuel costs, great unavailability, uh, so I think the people that we were able to help, hopefully it made a big difference because breeding stock, you know, to, to recover from loss of breeding stock is a couple of decades. What's the outlook for agriculture in 2023? Well, there's no, again, no shortage of issues uh, to be lobbying and, and that's what CFA does. Our mandate is to lobby for policy that improves agriculture for Canadian farm families. So looking at 2023, obviously we have cost of input concerns. We have uh, concerns that were raised today at APAS about what happens if markets aren't the same uh, at harvest or when we go to take crop to market this fall. So I'm sure those things will reveal themselves as we go along. Uh, we continue to work on the labor issue, which is a very important issue. Uh, I know in Saskatchewan and in particular in areas with horticulture and high value agriculture. I understand you're retiring. What are your plans? Well, I was going to ask you for some pointers on what to do for retirement. But retirement for me is just going to be wrapping up my role at CFA and going home to do what I've always done at home, which is take part in my family's farm and agribusiness. And where's your farm? Our farm is in Prince Edward Island. We're just at the foot of the Confederation Bridge. So when you come from New, from New Brunswick to PEI, uh, about five miles from there, you're in the middle of our farm. That was Jim Smalley in his chat with President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Mary Robinson. Time now for Real Agriculture with Sean Haney. Brought to you in part by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamp's Integra Tire in Grenfell. Your locally owned Integra Tire dealers on The Source, 620 CKRM. This is your realagriculture.com update. Bring the energy of Real Ag Radio to your next customer meeting or conference. From your stage, we'll record an episode in person to inform and provide insight on the latest in agriculture. Email advertising at realagriculture.com to learn more about this unique keynote opportunity. Sean Haney here with realagriculture.com and Real Ag Radio, Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. Let's talk about geopolitics. I'm joined right now by Jacob Shapiro. He's a partner and director of geopolitical analysis at Cognitive Investments. Jacob, welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Sean. From your analysis, what do you, what do you think we're going to see out of China's President Xi post uh, the fall Congress? Uh, a lot's being made of it. We could see maybe a, a, some different strategies, a harsher she. I, I'm not exactly sure how to describe that, but a, a change in behavior coming out of China as, uh, and obviously people bring up Taiwan a lot in, in, in this discussion. What, what, what do you expect out of China to go forward? I don't expect a huge uh, change of behavior in, in China. Uh, I don't think she is going to invade Taiwan. I'm pretty confident about that. I say that just because China can't invade Taiwan. China just started building amphibious landing craft in the last two to three years. They just started training their pilots around 2015, 2016, how to land and take off from aircraft carriers. 
China's building a military so that in five, 10 years from now, they can make a military threat against Taiwan and it'd be credible, but it's just not credible today. So I don't worry about that so much. I also, you know, the party Congress was, it was sort of a recognition of, of, of what everybody already knew. Xi Jinping is the most powerful person in China. He has purged all of his rivals. He is going to assume that, that mantle of leadership. Now, all that said, I will say that she is facing two very big problems, and one is um, worse than the other. The less important problem is the one that's dominating headlines right now, which is the, the COVID-19 lockdown. And here she has a choice. He can either be pragmatic and recognize that the virus um, is too um, too contagious even for China's best efforts to contain it, or he can double down and continue to incur a bunch of economic costs to do so. I think you're going to see that flexibility and pragmatism come out from Xi Jinping in that sense. But the big thing that's happening in China is they're staring down the barrel of a real estate property crisis. And it's not like a real estate crisis in the United States or in Canada. The most common instrument for Chinese people, middle-class people, um, to put their savings into is not a savings account and it's not bonds and it's not equities. It's, it's, um, it's real estate. It's property. It's not uncommon for Chinese middle-class citizens to have three, even four properties. When down payments on properties that haven't even built yet because China doesn't charge property taxes and because they think that's the most stable way to maintain your wealth. And what's been happening for the last six months or so is Chinese real estate prices are going down. Chinese GDP growth rates are getting revised downward. And the entire legitimacy of this Chinese Communist Party has nothing to do with communism and everything with ensuring prosperity uh, for the hundreds of millions of Chinese who are still relatively poor. So that's, that, I think, is Xi Jinping's biggest problem. And he's going to have a tough time doing that because China's isolated by a lot of the Western world right now, led by the United States, and they can't just go back to their old, you know, export-led growth model if they want to move forward. So that's the place where I would look uh, most closely. But in terms of change of Chinese behavior, not a ton. This is a weak country that's dealing with an economic crisis, and all of their behavior will reflect that. Well, that's not only a problem for China, that's a problem for exporters to China. And one of the big exporters to China is agricultural goods and products coming out of Canada and the U.S. That, so that, that, that their concern is, is also agriculture's concern, for sure. Yeah, I mean, every audience that I speak to with agriculture, um, I say this to them. And it's actually, it's, um, it's gotten a little less painful when I first started saying this. In 2018, 2019, people would get mad at me. Now people sort of nod at me. If you're basing all of your growth strategy or your export strategy on China, let me invite you to change immediately if you haven't already. Um, you should still sell to China if you can. There will be lots of opportunities in, in China going forward. I'm not saying you should ignore the Chinese market, but anything you can get out of China should be bonus. It should not be the centerpiece of your strategy because there is way too much uncertainty there. The other thing is that China doesn't want to import from the United States. It doesn't want to import from Canada. The moment China can find another source for the product that you are selling to them, they will find it. Uh, U.S. corn and uh, U.S. corn exporters are about to learn this. Uh, Brazil's gone from, what, exporting almost no corn in 2012 to becoming a major corn exporter in the world right now. China's importing a lot of it. They're improving imports of, of Brazilian corn so they can go to Brazil rather than the United States. So. China is not a stable access point. It's a market where there's opportunity, but there's a lot of other markets out there that if you do the hard work are more stable and that will be able to sort of stand the test of time. This has been your Real Agriculture Update. You can find out more about this issue or many others at realagriculture.com. It's your agri-weather forecast on The Source 620 CKRM. 
Good afternoon, Tanner Wallace Scribner filling in for Jim Smalley. The official 620 CKRM farm weather is brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina. Specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan, call Harry, Justin, or Devin at 352-1866. And Moose Jaw Truck Shop, the number one choice for any diesel engine repair. Drop in, no appointment necessary, or visit moosejawtruckshop.com. Looking at the weather today, increasing cloudiness this afternoon. There's going to be a high of minus 6, wind chill of minus 23 this morning. That's going to be wrapping up, but rising to minus 13 this afternoon. Tonight, it's mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of light snow this evening. Things are going to be clearing overnight. A low of minus 15, wind chill of minus 12 this evening, and dropping to minus 23 overnight. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of minus 7, wind chill minus 23 in the morning and minus 13 in the afternoon. And tomorrow night, it's clear with a low of minus 13. And on Sunday, a mix of sun and clouds, high of minus 7, and a low of minus 11 with a 60% chance of flurries. The normal high for today is minus 8. The normal low for today is minus 19. Sunrise was at 847 this morning, and sunset is scheduled for 455 tonight. Around the province at this hour, in Estevan, it's minus 10. Yorkton, minus 13. Swift Current, minus 4. Moose Jaw, minus 5. Weyburn, minus 10. In Saskatoon, it's minus 6. In Weyburn, it's minus, er, it's Regina, pardon me, it's minus 13. Maple Creek's the hot spot in the province at zero, and Collins Bay is the cold spot in the province at minus 19. We'll be back. This spring, apply pre-emergent Edge Microactive Group 3 herbicide from Gowan Canada. Before seeding your canola, peas, or lentils, maximize yield today and manage resistance tomorrow. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Canada. You're listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Sitting in for Jim Smalley, here's Tanner Wallace-Gribner. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers, McDougalAuctions.com, and by Pattison Liquid Systems. Experts in liquid fertilizer distribution. Fertilizer's just better when it's wetter. Pattison Liquid Systems. Expect the best. With another week in the books, Adam Bacallo, a futures commodity advisor with PI Financial, gave us a wrap-up of what happened on the markets this week. Well, Tanner, starting off on the canola front, we've seen the January contract, which is going to be coming up to expiry in the next few weeks here, increase approximately $30 a ton on the week. Uh, today, we are sitting at approximately $8.79 a ton. On the Minneapolis wheat front, the March contract declined approximately 12 cents a bushel, sitting at approximately 9.08 here this morning. So when looking at the canola front here, we definitely saw a nice rally from the bottoms. Uh, we did see the January contract get to a very important support level on November 28th at 8.03.50. And since then, it has been increasing a above some technical levels I've been watching and I believe really supported by a few different factors. So the first is, is January soybeans do remain in an uptrend um, after actually seven days straight down uh, soybean oil now is extremely oversold and so it is starting to bounce here uh, starting to bring up the canola market as well too. So until there is a shift in the weather uh, buyers could remain active and uh, today there is an important 
USDA supply demand report. Uh, traders see soybean ending stocks near 238 million bushels. That report comes out at 11 a.m. Central Time. So that's what uh, traders will be watching today. On the Minneapolis wheat front, uh, we have seen, again, the market pushing down to lows where I believe that U.S. wheat uh, to become a little bit more competitive on the world market. But this might take some time for uh, things to show up in the data. And so the market is on the wheat side very technically oversold. And I don't think it'll take much in the way of positive news to spark at least some type of recovery bounce. Um, the market has absorbed some significant bearish news on the export front recently. Uh, again, we'll be watching for the supply demand report today. The trend is down, but as I said, some type of uh, a bit of news could spark a bit of a rally here. And Adam, anything else of note happened on the markets that either you're chatting with uh, customers about or just of interest to you? Well, a couple things. The first I would say is what oil has been doing recently. So WTI oil has broken below an important level of $75 a barrel, uh, sitting at approximately $72.30 here this morning. So that's definitely one area that I've been watching and how that's being kind of affecting the overall grain markets, as well as the U.S. dollar as well, too. The U.S. dollar has sold off here, uh, again, potentially making grains kind of more, uh, I would say, competitive on the world market. Uh, the Canadian dollar in response is kind of stabilized here around the 73 cent kind of area. So uh, those are a couple maybe external factors I've been watching um, and advising clients on. That was Adam Piccalo, a futures commodity advisor with PI5. You're listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Covering for Jim Smalley, here's Tanner Wallace-Gribner. This segment of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Dagelman Industries. Look to Dagelman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered, tough equipment on the market in Arcola Building Supplies. Small town lumberyard, big on service, arcolabuildingsupplies.com. While many booths are promoting agriculture, CN was promoting rail safety as part of their operational lifesaver program at Canadian Western Agribition a couple weeks ago. Constable Hank Newmiller, a CN police officer in Melville, was also a volunteer with Operation Lifesaver. Okay, so Operation Lifesaver is a national organization that promotes rail safety for all the railways across Canada. So primarily in Saskatchewan, it's a class one railways, CN and CP. Uh, they actively assist the railways in promoting uh, safe communities and safe operations. And so at Agribition here, uh, they're helping to promote rail safety in Saskatchewan and across Canada because we get everybody from all over Canada here at Agribition. So. You know, I, I think for some people, they often overlook some things like rail safety. How big of an issue is, is rail safety in terms of in, in Canada? You know, uh, are, are people still getting seriously hurt and, you know, getting stuck on railway tracks? Talk a little bit about that. Unfortunately, yeah, uh, rail safety is, is, is paramount. It's, it's something that affects everyone. A lot of people don't realize how much they're affected. Everybody relies on the railway, whether they realize it or not. 90% um, of the things in everybody's home was on a train at some point. So without the railway operating, you're not going to have your TV, you're not going to have the winter tires in your car, you're not going to have the car itself. So you need the railway. Um, a lot of people, a lot of drivers don't know the basics of rail safety. A lot of drivers uh, will drive and just 
it, the the railway crossing when it when it activates, they see it as an inconvenience, and unfortunately for them, that's a that's a fatal flaw. Um, when you have a train that's three miles long, weighing in thirty thousand tons, it's very difficult for them to stop. It takes about a mile, uh, especially in winter driving in, in Saskatchewan. Ice and snow make it difficult to start and stop. And having said that, you know when you're approaching a railway crossing, you need to be able to stop. So as soon as you see the cross buck, the the big X, start thinking that I need to slow down. I may need to stop because there could be a train. But you have to remember that every railway has maintenance equipment, has people inspecting the track, inspecting the signals that are operating on that track. So it might not be a train coming, it could be a high rail truck, it could be a rail grinder, it could be a snow plow, and it's operating on the track. So it may not be a train that you're looking for and you may not notice it because it just looks like another vehicle, right? So be aware that the rails are there and you may need to stop. And what are some some safety tips or, or safety things for people who, you know, even if they've been driving for decades, they might uh, find uh, surprising or, or that, you know, they just slips their minds from time to time? Uh, what I've found from doing a lot of these presentations is a lot of times people don't realize that every railway crossing has either a blue sign or a yellow sticker on it with very key information that's paramount to somebody's safety. Um, Heavy snow causes drifting. Drifting causes people to get stuck. If you're ever stuck on a railway crossing, for whatever reason, your car breaks down, you get stuck in a snow drift, get out of your vehicle, look for the blue sign or the yellow sticker. That sign has got the railway that you're on, the network. It's got the location on the network, the mile point, and it's got the emergency number to call. Um, I recommend to anybody that if you're in an incident involving the railway of any kind, whether you whether your vehicle hit the ditch and you slid under the railroad tracks or you get stuck on a crossing, to call that number before 911. Ask that number to call 911 for you because there's a delay from the time that a person calls 911 until they call the railway. On the CN main line, we have a train about every 15 minutes. Quite often, the delay from calling 911 is 15 to 20 minutes, which is the reality of everything they go through because they have their protocols. That could mean that we have a train bearing down on you and we don't know you're there. So if we don't know you're there, we can't stop or prevent a collision, right? So call us, call the railway, let us know you're there. We'll help you get safe, we'll make sure you're safe because we can stop the trains. That was Constable Hank Newmiller, a CN police officer, police officer talking about their operational. The market updates on the source, 620 CKRM. Sitting in for Jim Smalley, here's Tanner wallace Gribner. Good afternoon, Tanner Waldo-Scribner once again here filling in for Jim Smalley with the market update, which is brought to you by Freeze Talman. Since 1956, Freeze Talman has been your trusted building materials supplier for every type of project. Freeze Talman in Regina and Fort Capel and brought to you by Farm Fresh Water. They'll make your water well wonderful and your dugout drinkable. Get your Farm Fresh Water today at farmfreshwater.ca. Looking at the latest grain prices, Durham at 496.28, feed barley 352.87, canola 850.62, chickpeas 925.95, flax 682.98, lentils 752.50, oats 254.32, yellow peas 466.27, feed wheat 289.56, and one red spring wheat at 410.92. That has been your market update. We'll be back with the livestock. It's the livestock reports on the source.
Outdoors, 620 CKRM. Tanner Waldo Scribner here filling in for Jim Smalley. The livestock quotes are brought to you by the Weyburn Livestock Exchange. Call Weyburn at 842-4574. Now, here are the latest livestock quotes with Grant Barnett in Moose Jaw. This is Grant Barnett with the Market Report Heartland Livestock here in Moose Jaw. 1200 on offer at our last pre-sort of 2022. Looked like this good calves were selling fairly steady to maybe a hair stronger on the top quality calves. The planer calves are still a little tougher to move. Another 250 cows here on Thursday. That market looked fully steady to last week. A lot of these good cows, 72 to 80. The odd sale into the low 80s. Some of these feeding cows are bringing better money than that, though. First sale in our next sale will be on Thursday, December 15th. That's the last one here for 2022. For more market information, give Heartland Moose Jaw a call at 692-2385. This is Grant Barnett reporting. Let's have one great afternoon. Going up next, it's the resource. This is the Saskatchewan Resource Reports on 620 CKRM. Sitting in for Jim Smalley, here's Tanner Wallace-Gribner. Good afternoon. The Resource Report is brought to you by Second Look Online Auction. Visit secondlookonlineauction.com to see what's up for bid and by Western Egg Professional Agronomy. If you want to make cropping decisions with confidence, visit growmoreprofit.com. Canada's new $4 billion critical mineral strategy will at first focus on six categories of metals and minerals with the biggest potential for growth. Lithium, graphite, nickel, cobalt, copper, and the group of 17 metals and minerals known as rare earth elements will be prioritized for investments in exploration, production, and processing. Natural Resource Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will officially release the strategy during an event in Vancouver today. In it, he repeatedly refers to critical minerals as a generational opportunity for Canada because they are the key to facilitating the world's push to powering our lives without burning fossil fuels. They are in the long list of modern technology used for laptops and cell phones to hydrogen fuel cells, electric vehicle batteries, and semiconductors. Clean Energy Canada says the battery supply chain opportunities could contribute up to $46 billion a year to Canada's economy by 2030 and support as many as 250,000 jobs. And it's not often and never a good thing when the temperature drops below that minus 20 marker. And Wasco, what the great with the Gateway Livestock Exchange, pardon me, says that the chilly basis in Western Canada currently is at about minus 30 to the U.S. cash market and is certainly reason for cattle fielders to look forward to a calendar flip. What's causing the low basis? Well, nothing new for this fall, that's for sure. Wasco explains that it's the same story that's playing out. Lots of cattle, lot of heavy carcasses, and lots of cows on hooks too. There's lots of beef processors that are just aren't getting current or at least what they need in the West. Waco says processors are running well, though perhaps not at full tilt. But when 23% of total slaughter, that's about 13,000 animals, are cows, it's difficult to tidy up the volume. It is their incentive to add processing or focus more on feeders. That's predicted on supply mix, pre-sales, and margin, according to Waskow. On the markets, the TSX is up 46 points. The Dow Jones is down at 56. Oil is down a dollar 11 to be trading at 70 dollars and 
35 cents per barrel. The Canadian dollar is down 16th, one hundredth of a cent to be trading at $76.40 U.S. That's the resource report. And if you missed any segment of the show, tune into the on-demand Saskatchewan Agriculture Today podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada. Gowan Canada understands the challenges that growers face and takes pride in finding effective crop protection solutions. Visit GowanCanada.com to learn more. Once again, I've been Tanner Wallace-Scribner filling in for Jim Smalley. That's been Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Ash Hope. You've been listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with Jim Smalley on 620 CKRM. If you missed any of today's broadcast, download the podcast now online at 620CKRM.com. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, following the 12 o'clock news on your voice for everything A. 620 CKRM. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of edge microactive pre-emergent herbicide.